Hi, my name is Lana Last. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Emma, which means bloody in Greek. Femtech to me is not accepting pain as a part of womanhood. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast brought to you by Fem Health Insights, the leaders in women's health, market research, and consulting. In this show, we have meaningful and provocative conversations with Fem Health experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Today's episode is brought to you by Good Clean Love. So news alert, if you didn't already know, I love to say the word vagina. Also, I have a vagina, and when mine is feeling a little out of whack, just a little out of balance, I go for Good Clean Love's Restore Moisturizing Vaginal Gel. It's made to help the vaginal dryness and itching and unusual odor. So it's my go-to before I make an appointment with my doctor. I personally feel super comfortable using it because they're biomatch technology. Good Clean Love's patented biomatch technology taps into three factors that can maintain a healthy vaginal microbiome. These are osmolarity, a healthy vaginal pH, and lactobacilli. Good Clean Love's products are isoosmolar to help you maintain moisture and not strip any of it away. It has a pH range of 3.5 to 4.5, so the products match your vaginal pH, and they contain lactic acid to help maintain a healthy vaginal microbiome. Gotta love those microbes, y'all. Holiday travel and stress always throw me a little out of whack, so if you're like me, make sure to get yours before you travel. I've got a special deal for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order by using promo code FEMTECH. Go to goodcleanlove.com and use promo code FEMTECH for 10% off. Shop products that are made to match your vaginal biome. Goodcleanlove.com. And now back to today's episode. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today's episode, I interview Lana Last, founder and CEO of Emma. Lana is a queer eco-feminist and advocate for gynecological health. She started Emma in 2019 in response to the lack of safe solutions for her period pain. Lana is also on the board of Femtech Canada and Endoville NY. Lana's company, Emma, is empowering menstruators to manage their pain with freedom and dignity. Emma has an LGBTQ plus female-led team and has developed clinically tested patent-pending products for personalized period pain management. Their first over-the-counter product, OV, is a vaginal suppository directing targeted high-dosage CBD and other active agents with proven pain-relieving efficacy to reduce period pain and inflammation safely and effectively. In this interview, we discuss why pain for women has been considered normal or simply ignored for so long, how CBD and CBG have been proven in preclinical studies to have anti-inflammatory effect in the female reproductive tract, and believe it or not, the link between art history and women's health. This is a great opportunity to learn more about the relief Emma's products can provide for period pain. Emma's vaginal suppository CBD products for period and pelvic pain are available for purchase and ships to the U.S., Canada, and Europe. Go to myemma.com and use promo code FEMTECH10 for 10% off your order. That's myemma, M-Y-A-I-M-A.com and promo code FEMTECH10. Enjoy the episode. 
Hey, Lana, welcome to the show. Hey, Brittany, thank you for having me. It is my pleasure to have you. I know you wanted to be on like a year ago, and I said, <laughs> not till your products launch so that people can buy it. So I'm yeah. so excited, not only for your progress, but that this day has finally come around because you have some really great insights, really great experience, some awesome stories, and I can't wait to dive into it today. Yes. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. No worries. Well, let's kick off the interview, learning just a little bit more about yourself. Our listeners always love to hear and understand where people are coming from and how they got into this industry. So give us a little bit of background on who Lana is. Yeah, for sure. So um, I have a degree in English literature and in art history and a master's in art history. So it may not seem like it's related to femtech, but actually it, it very much is. And I can really? go into that. I, oh okay. yeah. All right. Already learned something about you. Did not know that. Um, cool. <laughs> yeah. connection between art history and femtech. For sure. So in art history, we learn how to, uh, read visual language like art, right? Graphic design and anything cultural. So if you think of Instagram or even Tinder, the way that we pose in photos, big, massive cultural understanding, right? How we relate to each other and products and consumer products. But where it really helped me was actually learning about theory. So intersectional feminism, black feminism, Asian feminism, and being able to use that in our business to accomplish our vision and our mission. So without that background in philosophy and in feminism, we would not have created such a strong mission and vision for our company. So that's what's been our guiding factor. And we actually use that to write most of our blog posts, um, which can be kind of fun because we kind of distill some of the academic stuff down into something that's readable for the everyday person. Oh my gosh. I wish you had some extra time in your life and I know that you don't, but I would love for you to write a paper or maybe there's a listener out there studying art history. Can someone please do a research paper on femtech, like marketing and branding and like kind of look at what we're doing right or where we need improvements? Because I think uh, you just sparked a, a good <laughs> thesis for me, <laughs> for somebody out there to work on. Definitely. I actually did write a paper on that and we are making a blog post on that. Oh my and there, God. Okay. There is well. a book. <laughs> there is a book called Capitalizing on the Curse that actually looks at tampon and pad ads from 1900s to the 1990s, including actually drugs as well and how uh, they were promoted to women specifically. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, yeah. another day, another bottle of wine. Definitely. We'll talk about all that. So keep going. <laughs> Sorry, I've already interrupted you. Sure, so you're no, in good. school at this point in your story. What yeah. happens next? <laughs> mm -hmm. And so during my master's, um, I've always had really bad period pain and the type of pain that I get, of course, is abdominal, but it actually is neuro neuropathic. So it runs down my legs and into my knees. So it makes it really hard for me to move, right? I'm in just so much pain. It really does feel like a knife going from my abdomen to my kneecaps on repeat. And then I, of course, have back pain. I also get extremely nauseous and sometimes with vomiting spells and then of course migraines. So this has been my period since I was nine. And this um, isn't and so, like endometriosis. This is just bad period pain or? Um, good question. It's really hard to know because in Canada, um, they are less likely to perform a lap surgery on you if you don't show endometriosis in an ultrasound. Oh. Whereas in the U.S., um, you can go to a doctor, an endo specialist who understands that endometriosis up to before stage four does not show up on an ultrasound. And so then they'll perform the lap surgery. 
Interesting. Wow. Yeah. All right. So you're having this excruciating pain. Mm-hmm. And as most femtech founders, that w- whom are usually patient advocates at the same time, empowering yeah. and creating solutions to their own problems, what happened next? Yeah. So I was studying for finals in the library and I took an Advil because I knew my period was coming. I get signals beforehand, like light spotting and cramping. Um, and I, as soon as I took the Advil was in like excruciating stomach pain. So I kid you not, I like slow walked all the way to the emergency room on campus, um, where they admitted me and told me that I was having basically a reaction to the NSAIDs, the Advil, um, and that I couldn't take anymore. It had caused me like serious ulcers Mm -hmm. and all the way down into my GI tract. So because After you're taking so much handfuls every month to manage wow. my period pain. And that's not recommended, I'm guessing, by that ad by Advil. Um <laughs> unfortunately, because NSAIDs and Advil are the standard care of treatment, right? That's what doctors turn to first for us to manage any type of pain, but especially period pain. So if you think that like every month you're taking, say, three, four Advil to manage your period pain. But what if you also have PMS pain or ovulation pain or back pain? You're also going to be taking more Advil during that time of the month, right? So you build up this issue in your body. And so after taking, yeah, Advil from the time I was nine to like I was 25, it became a problem. Wow. Yeah. So after being in the emergency for that, my GP decided to put me on birth control and I had gone on and off of it as a teenager, um, but really went on it heavily then and was on it for maybe a couple of months before I started to present TIA, which are tiny strokes. What? Yeah. Yeah. Lana, I didn't know yeah. any of this. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. How and mm-hmm. why? Is that a thing that birth control can cause? Yes. Um, so birth control, because it shifts your hormones and what it actually does in your brain is it resets your brain chemistry. So when you feel, for example, pain in your brain, say from a migraine previous to birth control, your brain is like, Hey, I've created this pathway to manage this type of pain. Right. And you can sometimes see that in MRIs in like white matter. Um, but once you're on birth control, it resets your brain chemistry so that your brain experiences a migraine and goes, Oh my gosh, I don't know this pain. I'm going to shut down this part of the brain. Um, and so that's what TIA, yeah, that's what TIA does. And for me, it happened in the part of my brain where I actually like talk. So sometimes, you know, I have to be very conscious of like, um, I've had to learn to be very conscious of how I talk, what words I'm using, how I'm speaking, because, because of it. Um, Is this still happening? No. (laughs) Sometimes I, though, I feel like I can feel them because they definitely (laughs) feel a certain way. Is this a brain fart or a mini stroke? (laughs) Exactly. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) So sometimes I'm like, oh, damn. Um, And this is something, though, that's not... Uh, as uncommon as people think, like wow. we know there are serious side effects to birth control aside from TIA, like blood clots, um, right. And kidney problems and stuff like that. So that's not unfounded, you know, um, a less was sued for causing these types of problems because they didn't do the proper clinical work. So this isn't something totally, uh, I think unique to just me. Yeah. What happened next? Yeah. So I went back <laughs> like to the GP. The page. Next page. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. Went back to my GP and she wanted to put me on opioids to manage the pain. 
And for me personally, that just wasn't something I wanted to do just because my family has a history of addiction. And I just felt like this was too extreme. Yeah. Opioids for your period cramps. Like, are you kidding me? Exactly. Right. And without a diagnosis of endometriosis or adamiosis, I felt like this just wasn't the right path. Um, And so I turned to cannabis. uh, And so I started smoking like marijuana, like any good person would, but because I was in school and trying to work, I didn't want to be like high all the time. Yeah. Right. And so I felt like there had to be a better solution. Um, I went By the way, to, did the cannabis yeah. work? Like, was it working? Um, it really depended on when I took it, like when I smoked it and how much and what strain. Um, and as I learned more about cannabis, this became so much more obvious what, what works and what doesn't. And I can definitely talk about that later. Um, <laughs> I found that after smoking such high amounts of THC that that didn't do anything for me. If anything, it just increased my anxiety level. Yeah. Um, almost because I, like more sensitive to it more. Like, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and so didn't work for me. And I, and I had known about CBD at the time because I was researching. And so just trying to make sure like everything was good to go. So I went to California being in Canada. I went to California, found a company, um, one of our competitors, Foria, um, tried their suppository and really didn't feel anything. So I was like, well, you know, I don't know. There's something unique about a vaginal delivery that I really liked though. Went so it was back. a vaginal suppository. So essentially right. listeners can think about like a little pill that you put into your vagina and it kind of disintegrated and, and exactly. absorbed into the vaginal wall. Is that where it absorbs? Yes. Ideally. Yeah. Um, and I'll talk more about that absorption. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and went back to Canada and decided like, I really love cannabis, but cannabinoids. Like I wanted to learn more specifically about CBD and the upcoming research. And this was back now in 2018 where the farm bill had gone through, um, Canada had just legalized it as well. Um, What's the farm bill? Yeah. Good question. So the farm bill is where, uh, in California, um, cannabis was, uh, like openly legal, basically you can, you can have, um, pot shops, marijuana shops, dispensaries, there was more regulation coming out around that. So not it, it, it helped people go from like a recreational market to a therapeutic market or medical market. Got it. Okay. Um, and so that came out. So I was lucky enough to start emailing people in the farm side department because I am not a scientist. I don't know what I'm Our doing. historian. We learned exactly. That <laughs> yeah. I know how to research really well and like synthesize material well, but I don't, I don't know science. So I was really lucky. I started like emailing random people in the farm side department who I thought could be a good fit. And I was lucky enough to hit John Jackson, who co-founded Angiotech, which is big pharma here in Canada. And now he was retiring at the time. So he was like, I'm not necessarily up for a big project, but come to the lab and let me show you like what it's about. I'm like, all right, great. So we go down to the lab together. He shows me around telling me kind of projects he's working on, how he specializes in, in vaginal drug delivery. He has hundreds of pens under his name. Um, but that basically he wasn't able to help me at that moment. So what he told me to do was because, you know, whether you're doing a fine arts degree or art history or science, you do learn how to research and understand material. So for the next year, he guided me through cannabinoid research together. 
And after that year, after I presented like, hey, I think this is a possible formulation for an MVP product. He was like, okay, let's get you some co-founders who know science. That and by the way, crazy. like you are doing all this because you just emailed some people, right? Mm, and like, yeah. so listeners, if you have an idea, if you have even an ounce of ambition or some interest in something, like literally just go out there and ask. Like oh, this yeah. guy was like super well-known, really established, super busy, retiring soon and was still like, yep, come on, let's go mm. do this. So um, listeners, go for it. Take a jump. Take that leap. Exactly. Reach out. You never know what's going to happen. You don't know until you ask. At least if you, like I heard so many no's, but they were like, and try this person. And yeah. through that too, I was actually able to get into an incubator program that way, um, which I can talk more about in a bit. Cool. So yes. you found a scientific co-founder? I found two. Woo-hoo! Luckily, yeah. For the merrier. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So I found Melanie Terborg, who was a cellular biologist working on bladder cancer research drugs and then had had, had her own biotech um, and then sold it in California. She has a master's in women's studies. And so we started together looking at formulations, trying to figure out bases, like how did we want to deliver something, if vaginally how. Um, and then uh, two months, three months later, we were introduced to Mally Maybod. Um, she's amazing too. She has her PhD in drug discovery and delivery from UBC, where we all came from. Um, and she's actually one of the more outspoken Persian women in cannabis, which is fairly rare. That is super so, cool. yeah. So together we spent the next couple years working on formulations. Uh, and testing them on ourselves and in the lab to see like, what did we like? What kind of efficacy were we seeing before we moved into a formal in vitro um, test tube testing? Efficacy essentially means like how effective was it, right? Exactly, Um, yeah. And then in vitro is like not just your own vaginas, but like an actual scientific model. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Isn't that funny how like inhuman actually comes first for a lot of founders because their own vaginas first? Yeah. I uh, remember uh, Dr. Julie Hakeem who helped me like kickstart Femtech Focus. She was creating the first ever vaginal stint and she Uh hadn't even made it to animal models yet, but had definitely already put it in her own vagina. For sure. Like, (laughs) You just know how it feels. Yeah. 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 Are you going to, you know, don't wait that long, put it in a willing person. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And we had been putting it first in our mouths to see because Mally had formulated drugs before that you can buy at CVS and Walgreens actually that she holds patents for, for, um, canker sores. And it's the same mucosal membrane as the vagina. So we had made these suppositories, just sticking them in our mouths to see like, (laughs) if we drink water, will it move? Does it dissolve? (laughs) To like mimic flow. (laughs) Oh, the things we do, the things we do for innovation. I love it. So then what (laughs) happened next? Sure. So once we landed on a formulation, we went back to our university and applied for an incubator program because Yes, like we had something great on the science part, but we lacked on the business end. Both Mally and Mel had had some business experience, but none of us had had full on startup experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were lucky enough to get into lab to launch at UBC because that's our alma mater. Uh, and they take us. <laughs> and that was amazing. It was a year of like, what's your mission? What's your vision? How do you, you know, what's your purpose? Like what's really, what's your why? Mm -hmm. And it may seem really easy after telling this story, but it's really not because 
um, you, you're not sure if other people connect to that. Why? Mm-hmm. So once we started doing the research, we found like, oh yeah, this is a massive problem that's completely ignored, totally taboo. You know, like up to 90% of women and people who menstruate experience moderate to severe period pain. And we say up to because they've never done one study with conclusive results ever. And they've done over 20. So why is it inconclusive? Do they say? Yeah. Um, we think it's because period pain, if it's not, if there's no pathology behind it, like endometriosis or adenomyosis, right? If it's just considered primary dysmenorrhea, so normal period pain, it can fluctuate month to month for people. It depends on your hormones, your stress level, right? So Mm -hmm. it's really hard to conduct a study if people's pain levels are shifting. And also pain is subjective. Mm -hmm. How you feel one month may not be the next. And that month may feel like an eight, but the next month may feel like a nine and you're thinking, right? So it's really hard for us to understand ourselves, our own pain level. Yep. Yeah. And I am, um, you know, I am a baby with tattoos. I love tattoos. <laughs> I tap out at two hours, like can't do more. And there's people who literally nap during a tattoo. Right. See? And so yeah. like, I know I'm, a, I'm very clear. Like I'm kind of a baby, like my pain tolerance pretty low, um, while others is way higher, but also <laughs> my experience, um, uh, menstruating and having pain mm. is usually if I'm passing like a bigger clot in that moment, it is right. And it's oh, not yeah. every month that sometimes it's more of a clot versus, right broken up. And so sometimes it's, you know, one 20 minute period that's extremely painful that I might or may not have every month. Yeah. Right. Or the taboo topic of period poo, really uncomfortable, extremely painful in more than one way. Right. So like, and to gosh, yeah. Or if you have bowel endometriosis, again, like on an unheard scale of pain. So I think that's why it's been really hard to do these studies, but that's why we say up to 90%, um, because at some point you will be experiencing period pain, whether or not you're on birth control or have an IUD or, you know, had a baby and now your hormones have shifted. So I just had an idea. You know how I see you walking around with those, um, like electric pads to show like how painful periods are. We need to start putting that on their butthole. So Seriously. They, <laughs> we need to think through the hygiene of this, but like, because <laughs> I always see the videos, it's like on their abdomen. It's like, no, no, no. Let me actually put one on, on your taint exactly. and your sphincter because that's really yeah. where a lot of the pain happens. <laughs> exactly. It's excruciating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's your prostaglandins going to the wrong area of your body. They misfire, which is super interesting too. So look yeah. at you. It's like you have become no. a scientist. <laughs> I slowly, you know, hanging around enough of them all day. <laughs> So what happened next for the company? Yeah. So after that, we tried to um, raise a round. So what ended up happening is we started with this one formulation that was a biotech formulation that and basically all that means is we would want to go to the FDA with it. Mm-hmm. And so we were really lucky that at UBC, we had advisors who had already been working with FDA, had brought novel therapeutics to the market. Um, so they, they were really hooked to that. We had also talked with the FDA about the specific formulation. Um, and they had told us no, which was really devastating because we had spent so much of our effort and time and research trying to do this. Um, but what they did tell us was like, Hey, you have this other formulation that's OTC over the counter that people don't need a prescription for it, that you don't need to go to FDA with launch that product first, collect as much data as you can, 
and then come back to us with your biotech formulation. Well, that's good. They gave you kind of a roadmap. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's exactly what we did. So we pivoted away from this amazing, which it's my personal favorite formulation because it's just, um, it gives such relief for vaginal atrophy from cancer treatment um, and from other severe pelvic uh, pain issues. Um, So it was heartbreaking to do, but we pivoted. Um, and then we, we needed funding. We were like, okay, we at least need to have an MVP of this consumer product and test out this formulation properly in the lab. So we were lucky enough to have an R and D facility in New Jersey, um, that specializes in vaginal drug delivery and discovery. So we provided our formulation. They tested it in a test tube with vaginal epithelium cells so that we could actually see it go through the, the membranes and stuff, which is really cool. And I didn't know they could do that. Um, and we tested ourselves against our competitors in this as well. Uh, and so we applied then for Indie Bio New York, which is a biotech accelerator. And we got into that and got some funding to be able to pay for our science. And that really catapulted us into a whole other level of um, our company where we were able to perform our in vitro, run an observational trial, actually multiple of them. Um, and connect into the investor world, which is a whole other thing. It's a whole other episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so from there, we learned some really cool stuff about our formulation. And I should say, because I haven't mentioned, our company is named Emma, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) By the way. (laughs) The big reveal. There's a company and a product. (laughs) This is a really fascinating journey. And um, I think one of the things that really drew me to your product was the hardcore science you've been doing behind it, that this is this is a biotech company, you Mm. know, even though it's a, you know, vaginal suppository CBD. Some people might say, oh, a little hand wavy there, biotech, sure. But like, (laughs) no, this is legitimate pain management pharmaceuticals with a consumer, you know, focus for now because of this feedback mm-hmm. you got. And so was that actually an experience you had as a founder of people mm-hmm. maybe discrediting the product type or the science behind it, not le- putting it on the same level as, you know, maybe diabetes management mm-hmm. drugs or something like that. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Yeah, for sure. I would say this happens about 90% of the time, even with investors who are in cannabis, it it's like almost unheard of because it's such a male dominated space and there's so much snake oil on the market and people don't care. You do not have to test your products. And that's why the FDA is now scrambling to create regulations around cannabis, right? And now they're trying to do the same thing with psilocybin and MDMA and ketamine because they've learned from this cannabis industry. So the experience that we've had, for example, and this is just a minor one, um, I was at a cannabis social equity coalition night Uh, And I was talking about how like we had gone to dispensaries here in New York, um, pitching our product, telling them that we have patents on our formulations, telling them that we've done in vitro and observational and them telling us like, but we're not interested. And I could not believe it because none of the products in their stores have this kind of rigorous testing. They don't know. It was almost like whatever, like. You right. may, you're probably going to be charging me more for something you don't necessarily need in my store right. or that people right. are even looking for. Right. They just don't understand that they're, they're that cannabis can be scientific mm-hmm. and they certainly don't understand that at the consumer level. And so it's our job 
especially as women, to educate our consumers because we don't want to exploit pain in our bodies. We want to make sure that we provide a pain management tool that works. Um, and I know that you are, um, talk a lot about how pain is considered normal for mm-hmm. people with uteruses. So can you t- actually dive into that a little bit? Because I think mm-hmm. it t- ties into this. Why have we have a history of women being in pain is not considered a problem? Why is that considered normal for us and not for men? And how yes. is that essentially <laughs> left a... Um, suppression on things like your product? Yeah, this is a big hefty one. So I'll try to keep it very succinct. (laughs) Um, Going back to ancient Greece very quickly. um, (laughs) We know that vagina comes from the word um, hysteria and we know the concept of wandering womb, right? Where men who wrote about it uh, believed that we needed to keep our wombs inside of us and filled with a child. Okay, great. Um, And then as... (laughs) As medicine kind of moved further along, uh, I would say for the first hundred years at a slower pace, <laughs> um, eventually we learned more. So women have always been seen as hysterical. Um, our pain has never really been taken seriously. Um, and so that's created what's called the gender pain gap. Um, and the, the gender pain gap basically is where there's a disparity between women's care and belief in medicine and experience of pain versus men. So for example, um, norepinephrine, which is a drug in the UK, did a pain index actually. And they said that um, 65%, no, 56% of women experience pain versus 49% of men. And our pain is unheard. They also looked at a study in the UK where they had men and women go into an emergency room complaining of abdominal pain. Women waited 65 minutes in the emergency room. Men waited 49 minutes in the emergency room. Women were given antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds. Men were given analgesics, so painkillers. Wow. The way that the gender pain gap, I think, can be understood and how I understand it um, is through actually Maya Dusenberry, who wrote a book called Doing Harm. And she... She posits in her book that the gender pain gap can actually be divided to the trust gap and the knowledge gap. The knowledge gap is where we don't know anything about women's health or very little about women's health, right? So for example, in 1986, Rockefeller University Foundation did a study on the effects of obesity in breast and uterine cancer and had no women in the study. (laughs) How did they even do that? I don't know. We don't, a whole lot of hand waving. Right. You know, I actually often say that one of the biggest, um, you know, one of the most important ways we need to um, elevate women's health is through educating women about our health because simply not understanding how our bodies work is in itself the suppression exactly. of women, right? Yep. Like if we actually understood that what I was experiencing was normal or common, I may not feel as ashamed to share it, you know? Um, but because exactly. of that occlusion of not knowing, like you feel like you can't talk about it, right? And so that in itself exactly. is the suppression of it. Um, Right. And like, yes, I can give more stats and facts too. Like what's also kind of crazy is if you look at the drugs that they've also created for women, like birth control, super interestingly, they had to pull like only 12% of approved drugs have actually been tested for drug interactions with hormonal birth control. 
So a drug that you could be taking while taking birth control, they may not know how they interact at all. And this could be causing you pain or other health issues, because again, there's this lack of research. So in our sphere, which is period pain, you know, it takes seven to 10 years for somebody who has endometriosis, a severe type of period pain where the endometrial tissue grows outside of the womb and actually can fuse organs together. And it's a whole body disease. It can even show up in your brain, your ears, your mouth, your diaphragm. It's everywhere. Um, It takes 70 to 10 years to get a diagnosis if you're a white woman and 11 to 15 if you're black. So we we don't even just even looking at that knowledge gap, not even including race into it, which is a major part. There's already a massive problem. Um, And then when we look at like the trust gap, um, that's part of this. When you go to a doctor and they and you're saying this is my pain and they tell you that's not true, that's in your head. That's part of that lack of trust of knowing our own bodies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And not believing us. And so again, we always end up getting anti-anxiety meds versus painkillers because our pain is not believed. Um, and it's even less believed if you're someone who's BIPOC. So 40% of people who are black and go to the hospital for pain are not given painkillers. Wow. Which is wild. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's really tough. Disbelief of women's pain also look like this. So I, um, found out in January of this year, 2023, that I'm actually allergic to gluten. And the last three to four years, I've had some serious joint pain. And to the point that 2022, last year, I couldn't drive for more than 20 minutes at a time. I couldn't go to the gym anymore. Stairs hurt. And I mean, I love to cook and I couldn't even pick up a pot of water anymore. It was so pain. And I was like, this is insane. I'm tip, I'm for the most part healthy. I'm young. Like what is happening? Mm -hmm. And I went to, and I, you know, good entrepreneur, self-insured, i.e. my checking account. I'd save up, go to like an orthopedics or I went to primary care and they were all like, I, so, and this is my kind of question. Could disbelief look like this is I showed up and it wasn't that they directly said, I don't think you have pain. They all said like, huh? Okay. Uh huh. Or looking, looking, but it was like at the end, they couldn't figure it out. So they were like, well, we think maybe you're probably just stressed and, uh, you know, your, the ergonomics of your computer space, you know? And like, so is that what what disbelief looks like or absolutely 110%. Yes. (laughs) It can be where, you know, your own body. Don't Mm -hmm. forget that, you know, your own body, you've lived in it for however many years you are, you know, what's right and normal and what isn't they don't also doctors are human beings. They're going to make mistakes and they only know as much as they're taught in school, which is not much about women's health. Mm -hmm. So if there's anything wrong, exactly what you're saying, where you all of a sudden couldn't drive, that's a problem. And to not have that taken seriously is part of becoming the gender pain gap. This lack of trust also goes the other way, right? Where we don't trust our healthcare providers or doctors. Um, One thing that I thought was just absolutely shocking is that Prozac looked at how many women were taking their drugs back in the 90s. And we were 90% taking Prozac more than we bought laundry detergent, which is insane. And so, yes. And so what did they do? They came out with a pill that was pink and labeled it Seraphim so that we could take a pretty pink pill. 
And it was actually prescribed for PMDD and used for PMS. (gasps) Oh Mm -hmm. my God. So So, Prozac around your period to calm you down. Right. So that lack of trust tends to go both ways in the gender pain gap, right? How can we trust our providers if they're not listening to us and telling us what we experience isn't normal? Yeah. I mean, insane. I mean, I had to discover that I'm, I'm gluten intolerant through an own, my own elimination diet. Cause I said, right. well, like maybe it's something in my diet and I, and I figured it out that way, but it wasn't a physician that even suggested that. Um, wow. There's so much going on here. So, uh, <laughs> I can relate it back to cannabis. <laughs> yeah. Relate it back to cannabis. Tell us sure. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm supposed to be the host connecting the dots and no, I got, you're good, you're you, you connect them today. <laughs> I love connecting. No problem. <laughs> so cannabis has been super interesting. So our product product contains CBD and CBG. So most people are familiar with CBD, right? As being an anti-inflammatory cannabinoid, but CBG is the OG of anti-inflammatory cannabinoids. It's the mother of all of the other cannabinoids. And so that in itself is massive. It wasn't the first one studied. I'm not sure why it wasn't, but it wasn't until a few years ago uh, through Ethan, Ethan Russo, who's like the granddaddy of cannabis. Um, CBG develops in the plant uh, when the plant starts off as a seedling and as it grows. And as it matures, it actually disintegrates. And so you need to get it at a very specific time. That's why I think it was so difficult. But what have the studies found has been pretty cool, especially around women's health. And so Ethan Rousseau is a big advocate for for women's health and cannabis. He's written lots of papers that actually talk about the history of it, which is super interesting, like how Queen Victoria smoked marijuana to manage her period pain, how ancient Egyptians did as well. Um, and oh, so, yeah, Cleopatra, yeah, exactly. Channeling my inner Cleopatra, <laughs> exactly. And why not? You know. Yeah. So, what we found through these studies, preclinical studies, is that um, CBD and CBG have an anti-inflammatory agent that can actually mitigate endometriosis pain. And endometriosis pain has been labeled like the top twenty part of the top twenty pain conditions in the world. It's far worse than childbirth. And that just came out in the UK. Yeah. So that's what they've found. It's also, what's also super cool about it is we have this natural system in our bodies called the endocannabinoid system. And it's on our, in our brains, in our skin, and in for our women, in our reproductive organs. Um, and they're called CB1 and CB2 receptors. And so when those receptors are out of whack with each other, and in general, in our reproductive organs, they actually can cause period pain. Whoa. I thought these receptors, the only thing I needed to know about them was that they are what CBD or cannabinoids attach to, and that's what gives you relief. But you're saying just purely their existence, something can go haywire with them, whether Mm -hmm. or not cannabinoids are in the system, the receptors Mm -hmm. are there, and sometimes they can be broken and cause this pain. Yes, exactly. And so that's what they've been, that's what they've been finding. And so why we decided to deliver vaginally in a vaginal suppository is exactly what you said. We reintroduce these cannabinoids like CBD and CBG into the vagina that bind to the receptors that mitigate that pain. And so, so if the receptor, it might be broken or something, mm-hmm. but by supplementing cannabinoids in there, you can actually calm them down. Exactly. Yeah. And that helps. Yeah, that helps reduce the pain. Um, And then the last thing that they found, which was super interesting, 
is that, um, I'm probably going to say it so wrong, but flavonoids, flavonoids it's the thing okay. that, yeah, <laughs> it's the thing that makes cannabis smell. Oh, um, yeah, there's two types of them. Um, they actually found that those flavonoids, uh, are 30 times stronger than aspirin without any of the side effects. So implementing that right with no side effects, um, is pretty yeah. massive and directly into the vagina. with ulcers, opioids <laughs> yeah. with overdose, or this. birth control with strokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. And what's really cool, part of me too, is like the more research that's being done right now, it's absolutely fascinating. And so we're at this incredible peak where no one is looking at cannabis and women's health, but us and a few other companies. Um, so we're super fortunate to be working with a gynecologist, Dr. Janester Wilson King out of Florida, who runs an endometriosis center. And she's, she, she's an OBG, um, YN. And she also does, uh, like more integrative approach because she's seen how cannabis has affected her patients' lives. Mm. You go from not having a quality of life to being able to drive, to take your kids to school, um, work. And so it's, it's been pretty interesting working with her and looking at now hormone levels in cannabis. That's our next. Yeah. I was going to ask you, so like you're focused on pain now, but you're kind of alluding to maybe that it's bigger than just pain management Mm -hmm. with cannabis. Exactly. So no one we're working on doing studies right now, um, looking at hormones and how these receptors, the ECS, the endocannabinoid system actually like, does it change during your cycles? What happens if you have PCOS, an endocrine disorder, right? Does that affect it? No one knows these questions. And so that's the kind of science we're hoping to dive into. But unfortunately, femtech investors are not interested in this science, (laughs) which we can talk about if But also like basic scientific research usually isn't funded by investors, right? It's usually funded by governments, but I'm assuming there's potentially some issues there with governments funding cannabinoid-based research, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. We need all those bros that got all this money from like early (laughs) early cannabis stuff to fund this. Exactly. So when we take a look at our formulation, we know it actually that these cannabinoids work because we put, luckily, Indie Bio being an, a biotech accelerator was able to fund this research. So what we found in vitro or in the test tube is that we preserve the normal vaginal pH level. So your vaginal pH level should be between um, a 3.8 and a 5. And 5 is fairly high even, right? We are right at 3.8, which is great. Um, we found that our competitors actually push that to neutral, a mm-hmm. seven, which is massive. And what we saw was bacteria growing like yeast infections and BV. Mm. Um, and so we were pretty shocked by that because as we started reaching out and talking to women and people who menstruate, who would use these products, that's exactly what we were seeing. So if you can only imagine having like, uh, endometriosis or severe period pain. And then on top of that, you develop a yeast infection mm-hmm. and depending on the type, exactly. You're, you're in vaginal hell, basically. <laughs> God, literal, literal yes. hot hell, yes. hot hell. Dang. Right. Dang. Yeah. And, and so, so go ahead. 
Yeah, I can keep going, but yeah. Um, and so then we decided, like, okay, great. We saw the results there. We also took a look at um what I think most consumers are aware of, which is broad spectrum um hemp extract, which is what our competitors use. So we actually compared did a drug release profile and compared ourselves in that way to them. And what we found was super interesting. Consumers think that broad spectrum is great because it contains other cannabinoids like CBG, CBN, CBC, whatever. Mm -hmm. This is actually not the case. (laughs) What we noticed is these companies claim to have other cannabinoids, but actually they don't because you there's variability in hemp extract. You actually don't know what you're getting at all. There could be CBN, but you really don't know. Because hemp extract is like, think of like squeezing out oil from the leaves or like, it's like that. You don't know. It really depends on the type of plant. There's also no regulation around this in the cannabis industry. The kind of science that I'm talking about, we've done, none of our competitors have done. And we know that for a fact, because if they have done the in vitro science, they either know that their product is causing yeast infections in BV and they're still selling it or they don't want to know. And mm-hmm. so they're just exploiting women's bodies and in, in pain. Yeah. Or maybe that they're just so under-resourced, right? I always like to think that there's a general positive motivation for people to work in the space, but yet mistakes can easily happen based on bias, right? So like can, even yeah. I have, you know, girlfriends that still use vaginal soap after I've told them a million and one times, like yeah. it, leave your vagina alone, but they have like cultural backgrounds or religious backgrounds right. or just kind of societal pushes that can keep them going that and doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not because they're like, I hate my vagina. I'm just going to keep doing this. Right. And mm-hmm. so I just, you know, I always love to um, give people not, I guess, the the benefit of the doubt, right? But it's like, imagine if we were all funded well, that we Mm -hmm. could actually do this. Or imagine if the research would had already been done and published and funded that like, we could create products that we could bypass these kinds of really Mm -hmm. horrible consequences from it. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. So your products are available, right? Yes, our products are available. And we tested it on a group of 20 women who had primary dysmenorrhea or normal period pain. And what we found was pretty cool. We had 80% total relief. So people that were ranging an eight, say out of 10 on their pain. So eight, uh, 10 being the worst one being the least ended up at zero, which was pretty amazing. Like we had known and we had seen that our formulation, yeah, was great, but we didn't expect it to be that good until we put it in people. And usually it goes the other way around with science. Um, so we were, we were pretty shocked. And then we also found, and I was like, heck yes. Um, it helped with nausea and migraines like gone. Yeah. So after that, we were like, okay, (laughs) we've done as much science as we possibly can before, you know, you step into like FDA land, we're ready to launch onto the market. And so in August of August 14th of 2023, that's exactly what we did is we finally launched our first baby called OV Relief. OV like ovary. I love <laughs> um, it. Yes. On our website at AIMA.com. And you can find us there called Emma. Um, and now we've just been growing, but it has been a challenge because being a femtech company and cannabis, we get shadow banned a lot on Meta and TikTok for talking uh, about period pain. Oh my gosh, of course you are. Where um 
uh, do you ship products to? We have listeners in over 120 countries, I think. Yes. So <laughs> where can you Amazing. ship products to? Yeah, we ship them all across the U.S. Um, there's The U.S. is really interesting because it's state-by-state state law right now and not federal. It doesn't matter. If you order a product like ours online, it will get shipped to you. They haven't touched uh, shipping none of the laws, which is great. Uh, we also, yeah, I know. Don't we like also... you listen to this, American government. <laughs> Leave yeah, it no. alone. Don't change it. <laughs> <laughs> to let us work. Um, so we also ship to Canada and the UK and Europe. Oh, perfect. UK and Europe. Yes. I know you guys are listening. Get your orders in. And you have a special promo code for our listeners? We do. It's Femtech10. Femtech10. 10% off your order. Love it. Yes. Um, super, super cool. And just kind of as we're wrapping up here at our time for the interview, um, you know, what would, uh, you know, someone who's listened to this, they're like, dang, this woman knows her stuff. I want to support this company. I have, you know, painful periods or pelvic pain or, you know, endometriosis. Um, what does that process look like? They go on your website, they order it, they get it. And like, is it, um, do like, I guess I'm asking because when I think Mm. about vaginal suppositories, I think about monostat and how Mm. it's like, I have to wait till the end of the day and I need to lay down and it's still messy and it's just super Mm. inconvenient or tell us a little bit about the experience of using your product. Yeah, for sure. So, um, if you have, really bad period pain and no PMS or cramping up until then. And just on your first bleed, it's totally fine to stick in a suppository whenever you're starting your first bleed and feeling pain. If you're like me and have PMS and cramps beforehand, it's like a, Hey, I'm coming. Then usually what I do and what we've seen other, our customers do is put one in during that pain. And all we ask is that you lay down for 20 minutes to let the product absorb. Mm. Um, we've spent a lot of time on absorbability because we're water soluble versus like our competitors who are oil, that shit will leak. Ours won't. But we ask that you lay down and relax to have it kick in. Just scroll um, on your TikTok or mine, right? Like just yeah, look exactly. at our TikToks for 20 minutes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And learn about uh, more fun shit on Femtech. <laughs> um, and then it's pretty simple to also put in. It's exactly like putting in a tampon, except much smaller and you don't even feel it, which is fantastic. We also found too, it like embeds itself into the vaginal wall. The vagina is like a cavern, right? It's like, it has all these really cool uh, nooks and crannies. So we find that it's really great at getting there and then allowing it to move through the vaginal epithelium uh, and into the blood. Um, so just chill while you put it in and enjoy your life. If I'm menstruating though, isn't my, you know, vagina going to push out, push it out or no? No. Like I said, um, as you stick it in with an applicator or with your finger, whatever you're comfortable with, um, the vagina's absorbability is incredible. It's just as good as your rectum actually, (laughs) but it's, it's amazing what it can absorb very quickly. And so because we've worked really hard on formulating a dissolvable product, not a product that melts. We don't ever market it like that because it doesn't. Um, it takes time to dissolve. So maybe once in a while, you might see a flake or two of the suppository. But generally speaking, in our studies that we've done and in our customer feedback, that is the opposite of what we've seen. That sucker sticks in there. And so you can get full relief. 
we actually had 50 hours once of relief. So wow. And if good. I am putting the suppository into my vagina and I'm menstruating, am I able to use any intravaginal menstrual products like a tampon, diva cup, diva or disc? You yeah. Know? So we ask people to wait 30 minutes before they put any of those products in them. And I also want wanted to say that uh, a lot of people who have bowel endometriosis use our products for rectal usage as well. They find a lot of relief there with that. And we're starting to see people who have colitis and Crohn's and IBS use our products rectally for relief too. Wow. So we'll be releasing another product soon just yeah, for Yeah, that's actually my last usage. question. What's the yeah. future of Emma? Yeah. So we are working on a line of products, some for people who have... Um, vaginismus and sexual trauma. So they're uncomfortable maybe touching their vaginas or they're unable to put anything in there. We totally hear you and understand that you also have period pain. So we're coming out with new products that will address that as well as some really nice like relaxation products uh, that contain our formulations with some new cannabinoids that we found synergy with. Um, and if you really love what we're doing, I'm just going to do a quick shout out keep an eye on our Instagram for paid period leave because we have the petition going on in Canada and we're starting it here in the U S in New York state. So if you really love what our mission and vision, uh, please reach out to us because it's important that people receive care during their periods. I cannot wait to talk to you more about that. In fact, let's do like a LinkedIn live about menstrual leave in the workplace Perfect. because, um, I was like, that's a whole episode. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I learned so much today. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Lana. You're amazing. Thank you so much. And one quick last thing. Um, we are always looking for people who love our products to become sales rep and create accessibility too. So please. Opportunity listeners. Yes. What's opportunity, Lana? Affiliate program. So we would love to be able to not only provide um, a paycheck to people who sell our product, but it creates access by dropping off the price. So we offer a discount for every box you sell, plus you make money back. So it creates accessibility to the product and gives you some money in your pocket. Mm, I love it. Lana, I'm signing up myself. Let's do it. This is awesome. Great. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you for listening to my interview with Lana Lass, the CEO and founder of Emma. Purchase your CBD suppositories at myemma.com and use promo code FEMTECH10 for 10% off your order. That's myemma, M-Y-A-I-M-A.com and use promo code FEMTECH10. Okay, Fem fans, it's time to get engaged. If you love the show, then you'll definitely enjoy reading our weekly newsletter. Subscribe at femhealthinsights.com. While there, you can also join our virtual community, which has over 1,000 Femtech founders, investors, and advisors you can get insights and feedback from. We have an active events calendar, jobs board, and much more. Please give our social channels for Femtech Focus and Fem Health Insights a follow. The links are in the show notes. And don't forget, sharing is caring. Send this show to a friend or colleague and keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.